Welcome to the Home Class Movie Chat, the place to get into all things movies. We'll leave no genre untouched, from romance to horror, adventure to comedy, and everything in between. We'll cover the good, the great, the bad, and the can I please get the last two hours of my life back ones you really wish that you could forget. So grab your popcorn and soda, sit back, and relax. It's time for the Home Class Movie Chat with Cat and Paul. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Home Class Movie Chat. I'm your host, Paul, and as usual, my co-host and wife, Kat. Hey. Well, this is actually our trilogy of movies that we actually didn't realize we were going to be doing. We originally watched The Bone Collector, and for some reason, then we watched two of the same movie with the same star. two of the same movie. It's a movie and then it's sequel. Yes, but it has the same um, actress in it, which is the Angelina Jolie triple. This is the tr- Angelina Jolie triple play, as they say. So this movie was done on uh, May 28th, 2014. What's the name of the movie? Maleficent. Maleficent. This is basically a different take on what, Beauty and uh, No, it's Cinderella. a retelling of Sleeping Beauty Sleeping from Beauty. the perspective of the evil queen witch. Ah, was it? Maleficent, what? Yeah, no, because I, I thought that um, some of the dialogue was basically getting towards the end of the movie where it, it tells you who's actually telling the story of Sleeping Beauty. Was it told by a different way of looking at it, wasn't it? It's it's from the perspective of Maleficent. Yeah. And yeah. by how she became what she was. Yeah, exactly. So this movie was, as I said, May 28th, 2014. It runs for 97 minutes, which is interesting because... It seemed to go a lot shorter than that, but it's only because the movie seems to keep pace very, very easily. Yeah, it's it really well paced. On. Yeah, there's not one part of the movie where I'd sit there and go, come on, let's get moving. It really just keeps it going at a nice, yeah. decent pace. And the story is great, too. I really enjoyed the movie and the, yeah. and the story to it. So the budget of this movie was between $180 and $263 million. I only say that because it doesn't give a definite what, how much it was. So they're figuring between 180 and 263 million is, is how much it was. Yeah. But the box office return, even if it was 263 million dollars that they made it on the high end, the box office actually took 758.5 million dollars. Wow! Now so, that's some star draw power. Yeah. So just this shy of a billion dollars, that was actually not not too bad. Yeah. Um. And and what you were just telling me about a couple of people who did turn down the role for this movie, you can sort of see where their bank account is, is right now, <laughs> which is basically not anywhere near what Angelina Jolie's is. But I also found interesting, I, I don't, and I don't know whether this was when she was starting to lose a lot of weight, but her, her face just looked very, very gaunt in, um, in parts of this movie. Now, I don't know whether that was just her or whether it was the makeup. It was making I think her it face was more good. makeup than anything else. Really? She's, yeah. she's terribly thin, though. I mean, she really needs a McMeal. Well, she's like that anyway, but the I make, know. it was more the makeup. But you, you can, can sort really of, make people look thin with makeup. And you can also see from, say, the bone collector that we did last week to this one, just how much weight she actually did lose over the mm-hmm. over the years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's neither here nor there. But did you also know that they actually did a screening, a private screening and at uh, Kensington Palace for the Queen? Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, uh, May 9th, 2014. Um, Warner, uh, sorry, yeah, Warner Brothers, 
No, Walt Disney, I should say Warner Brothers. Walt Disney actually took a copy to the Queen and, uh, and allowed the Queen and her family to watch Maleficent in their own oh. private screening room before it even hit the uh, the big screen. Cool. Which was actually really nice of them too. So should we start with the movie? Yes, please. All right. So Maleficent is a powerful fairy living in the moors, a magical forest realm bordering human kingdom. Yes. As a young girl, Maleficent meets and falls in love with her human peasant boy named Stefan, which is lovely. On Maleficent's 16th birthday, he gives her what is called true love's kiss. But What was that? He gives her true love's kiss. Oh, yes. Yes. But that was not to be. His love is overshadowed by ambition. And as they grow older, the two grow apart and Maleficent becomes the protector of the Moors. And I find this really interesting because, you know, there was a there was a part of the movie there that they said there is no such thing as true love's kiss. Now, I'm sorry to say that, but there is. There is definitely such a thing as true love's kiss. And I, and I don't care if anyone on the podcast starts to get sappy. That's fine. <laughs> but I know when I kissed my wife for the very first time, I knew that true love's kiss was actually real. Yep, I'll buy that. And when you see Maleficent, you know, because she, she's growing up and she's protecting the Moors and she happens to see well, what they consider to be a human. They they've never seen humans before. And she gets notified that there is a human on the moors. So she wants, she's intrigued to find out exactly what does a human look like. And, of course, he actually went and stole um, a little pebble that, he, that was um, from the, the fairy realm. And she basically says, give it back. Come on, give it back. And she throws it into the water. And he goes, well, if, if I knew you were going to throw it away, I would have kept it. And she said, no, I didn't throw it away. I put it back where it belongs. Yep. And then she did say, well, is this what all human boys look like? Do, you, do they all look like you? And he's like, yeah, pretty much. You know, this is the way I look. And that's how it started to develop because Stefan was one of the only, really the only humans that were allowed into the fairy realm and became very close with Maleficent. So as they did grow, grow up, there was that situation where he was coming of age and he didn't really know exactly what to do as far as he wanted to be king. He had him, he had ambition. He didn't know really how to get there. Well, at, at that point, he didn't know he wanted to be king. He just knew that he wanted to be part of the court. Yeah, exactly. And then, then basically, when he does get to the age of, of 16, he does give her true love's kiss. He really, she, I think she and him really do connect in that sort of level. So before we continue on with the story, it just yes. occurred to me that there was um, a little bit of trivia that you might find interesting before we jump completely into the story, which is that Maleficent had the largest budget ever for a first-time director, who was Robert Stromberg, surpassing another Disney film, Tron Legacy, from 2010. And that's really interesting to hear that because like Tron Legacy being the fact that it was like 30 years after the original Tron and they really left the original Tron open for a sequel. Um, I think a lot of the, the um, theatrical, you know, um, the theatrical quality of, of Legacy was actually really quite amazing. So yeah. I think for them to actually have a higher budget than Legacy, I thought, wow, that's that's actually really amazing because I would have yeah. thought it would have been that much, but I don't But know. anyway, so Maleficent and Stefan become friends, then they become more than friends, and then what? <laughs> <laughs> I like that ding. I didn't even have to do it this time. <laughs> Smart Alex. Oh dear. Um, so when uh, when King Henry tries to conquer the Moors, Maleficent mortally wounds him, forcing his retreat. He does. He does. 
Um, because uh, when he decides, because uh, for some reason, th- they just want the Moors. Now, I don't know whether they want to just, con- I mean, they, obviously they want to conquer everything, but I don't know what this obsession I is. I think they want the resources the of the Moors and the fact that their miserable people can't stand to see anybody else happy. Yeah, well, that yeah, I'll go with that one because they were they were really miserable. So they stand on the um, precipice of going into the Moors, and Maleficent basically flies into you know the battle, but stands there and says, "The the Moors, you are not going to conquer. You we're standing our ground. You're not coming in." Well, of course, what happens is as the the king stands there and goes, "Well, you know, you are, you're talking to a king," and she's like, "Well, you're not you're not a king of mine, so I don't care who I'm talking to. You're not going to conquer the Moors. You're not coming in." So all the mystical creatures that he, that she has in the moors, they all attack along with Maleficent. Now, as she she starts attacking everyone, they do say, you know, protect the king. But of course, half the guys, half the the um, soldiers there don't do that, anything like that because they're getting, you know, pummeled to the ground by all the other mystical creatures. At which point, Maleficent sees the king and flies directly at him and then basically slices him across the chest. So she does mortally wound him, um, and then of course that reports that his retreat and he's he's dying at this moment he's, he's now you see him lying in the bed and he is dying and he gives them gives basically uh a, an instruction to all the people that want to be king you well so that, he's surrounded by his knights well he, he's surrounded by all the the maggots and hanging hangers on they're waiting for him to die yeah you know it's it's the same way as you know you see anyone hanging around waiting for their inheritance basically if someone dies and you see stefan in the room as a manservant like filling the water pitcher and doing these little services around the room while he's talking to the noble people who are the ones standing around his bed waiting for him to decide who's going to be his successor yeah and he does say and I, you just touched on it whoever kills maleficent will be the name successor and marry his daughter so, yes. so there's a there's a pretty big uh, thing involved. Is the fact that you get to marry the daughter, nice, but you also get to be king. And I like the fact that you know he sent everyone one else away, and Stefan basically said, you know, I will avenge you, my lord. So he was originally a not not into in, involved in this. Well, he's nobody. Yeah, he but was what, an orphan. But what they don't know, and I think what Stefan has up his sleeve, is because he knows Maleficent so well. He's got the upper hand. He could actually easily become king if he can go and basically kill Maleficent, which that's his, his whole intention. Now, before we move forward in the story, there was a point when Maleficent and Stefan first met. Stefan had an iron ring that he was oh, wearing, yes. and he went to take Maleficent's hand, and she pulled back, and he's like, what's wrong? She said, well, iron, it burns fairies. So he cast off his ring to show that he was that her friendship meant more to him than this small piece of jewelry, which is one of the few things that as an orphan that he owned. So that's a really key thing to remember is that he knows that iron hurts her. And that was also lovely because Maleficent did say at that moment, here's a boy who's got nothing except this ring and he's willing to throw it away to be with me. So in that moment, you can almost see that, you know, he's got a very, very tender heart, you know. That's very, where she fell in love with him. Yeah, very few people would go and, you know, throw something so precious away uh, just to be with somebody, you know, and that really shows a lot towards this movie. But as you said, it does work in the reverse because Stefan visits the Maleficent in the Moors and drugs her, but is unable to bring himself to kill her. And 
you do see that moment where he does think about it. He's you know, like she's passed out now. I don't know what she she well no, he drugged her. Yeah, but she but once she's drugged and she falls asleep, he pulls out the knife and he's standing over her or kneeling over her, ready to plunge the knife into her into her chest. And he brings it down, but he brings it down only a certain way. And he just has that look like, no, I can't do this. I can't kill her. And then he goes to do it again. And it's like, no, I still can't do it. So he basically throws the knife away. He's got no other, he's, he's got no idea how to um, to accomplish. Yeah, but what he, the brought, uh, he brought that, that iron chain with him for a reason. See, I'm trying to work out whether he really did bring that for a reason or whether that was just basically in his little kit of, of goodies. No, I think he brought it intentionally. So you don't, do you think that he ever had the intention to kill her? I don't know if he ever had the intention to kill her, but I think he planned to take her wings all along as proof that he had, had done away with her. See, I look at it in the other, other form. I look at it as his first idea was that he wanted to kill her. And then when he, when he, because he hadn't seen her for ages. And when he finally did see her, he realized that he really did love her. But the only way to get her wings off would be to use the, the iron chain to get the wings off. So basically, I think that the chain and taking the wings off were, were an afterthought. I don't think he ever had the intention to just take the wings. I thought his, I thought his first intention was he was going to kill her and then bring her body back. But no. at that moment, when no, you see... No, I think see... he always intended just to bring the wings. Oh, okay. Um, so unable to kill him... As a bring himself to kill her. Instead, he severs her wings using iron, which is lethal to fairies, and presents them to the king. And this is really upsetting in this part of the movie, and I, and I must admit, I, I was so upset about this. Devastated by Stefan's betrayal, Maleficent turns the Moors into a dark kingdom and transforms a raven named Duval to serve her after sa saving his life. But what she does, which I, I as I said, it, it almost brings you to tears. So she wakes up from her from her drug-induced sleep, and feels that obviously she feels something's wrong on on her back, and and sees the fact that Stefan has taken her wings, and she absolutely breaks down and is completely and utterly heartbroken about the fact that the one person in her life that was that she should have always trusted and been able to trust um, betrays her in such a way, and I think this is where she becomes this you know, all encompassing evil fairy is because the one person that she trusted has betrayed her in such a way to take yeah. her wings. And the, the, now she's like, I know, I know why they say what they do about humans and everything else. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this moment in time is that previously up to this point, her magic, when she was good per se, was gold. It was a golden color. Yeah. But when she becomes evil, her magic turns green. And that goes throughout the movie. Yep. It, it follows throughout the movie, which I think is a really great way of, uh, of doing it because it, it shows you exactly, you know, at what moment she's feeling. And just a, a, a little shout out to my fellow Doctor Who fans. Peter Capaldi was actually cast as Maleficent's uncle. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but his role was cut from the final film. Oh really? See yeah. that? Oh man, that would piss me off. It would. Yeah. You, know, you get your moment in the sun, and then suddenly they go, "Yep, no, we'll cut that." Now, that happens all the time in in Hollywood, unfortunately. But I just always thought it was fun that Peter Capaldi had a, a cameo. <laughs> that would have been awesome to see. It would have been fun as the Doctor. <laughs> now Duval, we we have to tell, is a raven. Now the raven. He's he a crow, actually. He was a crow. Sorry. Well, no, they actually said raven, but if he no, transformed a, a raven. Okay. Well, but um. 
Maleficent's walking through, coming back from the moors, and sees this poor bird trapped underneath this um, netting. And of course, she has this the little you know ways of of transforming me when she sits there and she goes into a man, and suddenly he transforms, and this poor um, villager who's trapped this bird just goes running away because the moors has that that air of there's you know strange and evil stuff and there's there's you know magical stuff in there so you just don't screw around with it so maleficent being the person that she is now because she's been so badly betrayed by stefan and transformed this raven into um into a man does say okay well now i've done that and i've saved your life you are now serving me and does send the his send him off you know to basically do her bidding as far as finding out what's going on at the palace and of course, what she does find is that there is a birth. King Stefan has has had a daughter, and there is a christening coming up. Oh, before we get into that, can I just tell you? Did you know that Jude Law was considered to play King Stefan before Charles Charles Copley was cast? I think no, I didn't know that one. I actually would have thought that he would have actually been a better choice. I don't think that that King Stefan was really. Um, convincing. No, well, because what should have, it should have been that King Stefan was a, a more tragic character and he should have, you should have felt sorry for him in the whole situation. Yeah. But as it was, he was just a jerk. Yeah. I mean, he, he certainly did um, exhibit that at the end. I mean, from basically the time that he took Maleficent's wings, I'd say, yeah, he was a jerk. But he, just, I think... he just didn't have that nuanced performance that Jude Law always seems to pull off. Yeah, and that's why I think they made a bad casting error when they did that. Um, and I know, and this is, and I'm, I'm not going to you know, go crazy on going to different movies, but one of the movies that I must say that they actually cast wrong in a um, female role was the very first um, uh, Conjuring. You know, when you we were first... Um, exposed to annabelle and yeah. it's the, the married couple yeah. the woman that, that plays the, the woman the female character the actress is very very weak i've never seen her again in any movie and i think they cast her really badly she was a very poor choice for an actress mm -hmm. in um in the conjuring she okay. really was she wasn't it's all that been a good while since i've seen it so i don't recall yeah, exactly yeah. but but, it, but it's, it's unfortunate there are some movies and you did say that christian stewart was actually um up for the role of aurora yeah See, yeah, I they think, actually considered Kristen Stewart for Aurora, which I think would have been a real mistake. That was it. Yeah, I was going to say that would be a bad um, choice because I, I mean, think... I like Kristen Stewart, just not in something. She's not light enough for something like this. No, no, she's always very sullen and very much very moody and pouty. Where Aurora, the girl that plays Aurora, I think she is a perfectly cast for this role. Yeah, and I really do like that one. But um, interestingly enough, so we're yeah. talking about the christening. Yes, we are of we... Aurora. We are, and I thought it was interesting that they they considered using different children for this point but the director ultimately went with vivian jolie pitt who is obviously the daughter of angelina jolie and brad pitt because the doc the director knew that she would not be afraid of her because she knew it was her mom yeah yeah and that's I like why that. they cast her as the baby do you know that that um angelina jolie still has her horns at home yes she actually still has them at, ho at home she a she actually had to wear several different ones throughout the filming i didn't and know that one set of them was actually so heavy that she'd have neck pains directly after so she wasn't able to to use them 
Wow, I didn't know that. I thought it was yeah. just like one pair. She, she also did the the majority of the stunts in it and on not like using harnesses and stuff. That's really good. That yeah, shows she did you the majority the, of her flying and all of that um, herself. That shows you the kind of actress that she is. So vengeful Maleficent arrives uninvited because you know the townsfolk and all the surrounding areas are all invited to obviously King Stefan's you know child christening, but a vengeful. And she is vengeful because she does go in and see. Um, and it, the thing, when she walks in and she sees Stefan, you can see Stefan basically get up and go, oh, shit, <laughs> I mean, I'm in trouble now. And Maleficent basically curses the, the infant princess. On her 16th birthday, she will pick, prick her finger on the spinning wheel spindle and fall into a permanent sleep. Maleficent mocks Stefan's plea for mercy, but offers an antidote. The curse can be broken by true love's kiss, yep. which Maleficent and Stefan believe is non-existent. Well, he proved it wasn't. Yeah, he betrayed her in such a way that he, that she obviously knows yeah. for a fact there is, that it's not true. But I love the fact, and as you're saying, that how her, her different, the way that she has different colors when she's actually casting spells. And I think this is, you know, the, visually, this movie is amazing. And I love the visuality of this movie. And I think that, as I get a, as I get a bigger TV and a high definition TV, it'll actually just be that much more magnificent. But when she stands there in front of the cradle, in front of the cradle, and basically says, "You know, this child is going to prick her finger at age sixteen on a spinning wheel spindle, and can only be removed by true love's kiss," she blasts the entire room full of this green um, luminescent um, uh, spell. And it's just that the green is absolutely amazing. And she, and if, if, and visually, and as I said, if you want to stop the podcast now and go and see this movie, by all means, and come back and listen (laughs) to us because it's really, it's a great movie, but visually stunning when she walks into the, to the ballroom and she's in this beautiful black dress. And, but you know, she's just looking magnificent. Her horns are there and she just fires this green luminescent spell over the place. And it's just visually, it's stunning. It's a, it's a really yeah. visually well, stunning movie. The director was, this is his first time out as a director after serving as a visual effects supervisor on multiple films, including Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, Avatar, which is, oh, yeah, yeah, Alice in Wonderland, the Johnny Depp version, and Oz the Great and Powerful. So, so really, he comes got... from a production background, and Angelina Jolie actually said how much she loved working with a director with a production design background because it really helped pull her into that fairy world and make her feel like she was part of that. Yeah, and you can see it, and and the way that they've got it, it the, the visual stunning, um, the the way it's, it's visually stunning, it comes across the colors, you know, in the moors, they're vibrant. Um, and I, I've, I've always enjoyed this movie simply because visually it's amazing. And, it, and you've just rattled off, you know, one of the biggest movies in, in all time, which was Avatar. Yeah. And Avatar itself is just visually an amazingly stunning movie. Um, so I can definitely see where his background certainly lends itself to, the, to bring it into Maleficent and make it the movie that it is. And, yeah, and I yeah. just find that, it, yeah, it just it speaks volumes. Um, so obviously Stefan's pretty pretty upset and very wary about her becoming 16. So Stefan sends Aurora away to live with three pixies. <laughs> now is it Snotgrass or is it Notgrass? Notgrass. Notgrass, Thistlewit and Thistle. Thistle Twit. 
No, well, uh, uh, thistle wit. I thought it's th- thistle twit. No, it's thistle, thistle wit and fi- fiddle to protect her until the day after her 16th birthday. Because she does say, you know, if it doesn't happen, uh, 16 years and one day. So if she can bring her back yeah. for 16 now, years and one day. Now, before we go on from there. Yes. We're, we're, we're missing an important point here. Okay. Which is that, okay, two, a couple of things. One, in the original sleep, uh, Sleeping Beauty, which, by the way, uh, apparently a lot of the cast was chosen because of their uncanny resemblance to the characters in the animated film Sleeping Beauty. Really? I they look so either. much like the characters, the, like the, 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 the animated characters. But in the original Sleeping Beauty film, Maleficent comes in and does her decree when the fairy godmothers are giving their gifts to the to the child infant child aurora and as in that film the first two do their thing maleficent then comes in disrupts everything and leaves but in the original film the third fairy gives her gift which is the one that turns it into a sleep instead of a death curse oh little yeah but in this film, the third fairy never gives her gift. No, Flittle doesn't get a chance to give it to her because yeah, she, she, ne- she was about yeah. to do it, and then Maleficent came in yeah, and everything yeah. went to shit. And they, they kind of forgot that. Part. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, so after this happens, Stefan sends Aurora away for the next sixteen years and one day to live with the three fairy godmothers. Yes. Okay. He also orders destroyed every spinning wheel and spindle in the kingdom okay yes, yeah this is so okay so explain to me why he needed to do either of those things because away. because it was only on the day of her 16th birthday that he needed to keep her away from the spindle so she could have lived perfectly happy in the castle for 15 and a bit years be sent away for like a week, kept away from everything, and then come back, and everything would have been fine. Yes, yeah, I didn't, I didn't. Pick and up they on could that have one. explained this to her so that she would understand why she has to be kept away from the spindles. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I, I thought, may, yeah, I mean, when you look at it now, yeah, you think to yourself, yeah, she could have stayed there for, you know, 15 well, and a half the, years. In the original Sleeping Beauty, she is, it is in the castle that this happens. So I wonder why they chose at this stage to send her away for fifteen for the sixteen years. Well, I well because it then gives you the opportunity for her to create the relationship with Maleficent, which we'll get into in just a moment. Yeah, you know, but I've just never under- but logically, understood that thinking. Logically, it it is exactly what you've said. They could have just said to her, "Okay, for fifteen and a half years, you stay here for the last, you know, half the year and one day." You well, not not away. even. Because as she's approaching her 16th birthday, is like, look, you have this curse on you. Here's the deal. You can't go near any spinning, spinning wheels. wheels. Yeah. And just in case there's anything, she tries anything else, we're going to send you away for like a week. And you're going to come back the day after your birthday, and then we'll have a big party. See, I was even thinking just that moment when we we're talking about it that, okay, even if she kept, was kept in the um, castle for you know, a whole 16 years, what they could have done is, on the day of her 16th birthday, locked her bloody room. Locked her in the tower. Locked her in the tower, yeah. keep her away, and then and then open the door two days after her birthday and go, there you go, you're yeah. done. Yeah. We're Give just, her enough yeah. food and water for two days up in the car, up in the, the, yeah. up in the tower, 
and keep her, you know, safe. And then, but then again, of course, in that regard, that would have made the movie so much more disjointed and it would have made, wouldn't have yeah. made sense. It, it would have taken it away would... a lot of good chunk of the movie. Oh, absolutely. You know, but it's, it is one of those glaring plot holes. But you, you do. I, and it, the thing is that I've seen this movie at least, what, four times now? And I've never come up with that idea of like, why couldn't she have stayed in the, it's only now you've actually pointed it out to me that it is one of those, oh yeah, she could have yeah, just was, stayed away. They, there was only one day <laughs> that they had to keep her away from everything. Yeah, so if they locked her in her room the night before her birthday. And let her out two days later. And let her out two days later. She would be have fine. been fine. <laughs> See, this is why we this is why we're not movie producers because our movies would be about twenty <laughs> minutes long, and they'd be sitting there going, uh, "Paul, Cat, we can't give you a hundred million dollars for the movie because your movie makes no sense. It's only twenty five minutes long, including the credits." Yeah, so so they send their send her away with the fairies. Now, can we talk about the fairies for a second? Yes, we can. Who were beautifully played by Leslie Manville, Imelda Staunton, and Juno Temple, and when so they they're actually little tiny, and then they have to make themselves big Bigger. size to be able to cope with Aurora, who is human, and to blend in. Yep, and you know so so that it looks normal, and. They for them to look so light and airy, they actually spent three weeks filming motion capture while being guided by artists of Cirque du Soleil. Wow! And Leslie Manville was was saying that the experience was just fantastic, and I always thought it was it was interesting that they actually considered um, other other actresses for the parts uh tara reed emma thompson and judy dench oh god tara reed yeah I'm, I'm sorry i'm not gonna swear on this podcast but i'm gonna say if that i'm sorry tara i'm trying to reed? place her who is tara reed she was the she's the the, the twit that actually she originally starred in um the very first american pie um she is she's not a good actress she's, oh, okay. be, she's basically become like one of those these a-grade actresses that has had more plastic surgery than God, <laughs> and that she is now basically relegated to like B and C grade but movies. Emma Thompson and Judy Dench. I mean, come on, okay, how funny would two, that have been? Okay, those two, I would say yes, one hundred percent for sure. But, but not. That, well, that being said, I feel like Judy Dench may be a little mature for the role. Maybe she would have been great because she would have actually. But, but Judy Dench is brilliant in everything. Grass, yeah, but but, 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 Reed, get, no. but get this, they actually considered at one point reuniting from hocus pocus fame bet midler sarah jessica parker and kathy najimi that would have been awesome actually it wouldn't have been why i thought that would because be everybody all anybody would have seen was hocus pocus they wouldn't have seen them as the fairy godmothers i mean i wonder could they have done a crossover could they have made them no because they mm -hmm. were evil oh okay yeah, if you remember well, Hocus Pocus, they were evil. Well, that's one of the things we have to do on this podcast is Hocus Pocus. Plus, they are bringing Hocus Pocus Part 2 next year. Yeah, I know. Yep, it's been... Well, you know how the writers are in America? They cannot find new material. They yeah. have to rehash the old stuff. And if you've got movies like freaking Fast and the Furious Part 9... And then yeah, I know. But I could just see them right. sitting around the, the writer's table and everything going, Hey, we should get the girls from Hocus Pocus to do this. That would be awesome. <laughs> I think Judy Dench and uh, the other lady that you were saying. Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson and Judy amazing. Dench are just freaking brilliant, period. But I, but I will always definitely say uh, no. If they okay. cast Tara Reid, that would have been a monumental mistake. No. They, they, uh, Tim, Tim Burton was originally supposed to direct, but ended up turning it down to do other projects. 
Yeah, but see, Tim Burton's movies are all very dark and very gloomy. I mean, I I, I like I mean I liked um, Edward Scissorhands, yeah. but a lot of his movies are too dark. And I think that even though Maleficent, Maleficent is a darkish sort of movie, yeah. I think it doesn't play well for him being the director. I think he would have taken it in a completely different direction. Oh, I also forgot to mention that in the scene where she was cursing Aurora. Yeah. Um, her two of her other children were actually in the crowd cowering when Maleficent was doing her curse. See, I didn't see I didn't see them, yeah. so that's how quickly they were there and yeah. gone. But it's it's nice to have your mum as an actress that like you can get little cameo roles. I mean, you look at uh, Will Smith's son, um, Jaden Smith, who played in the this Earth movie. I don't know, I can't remember what it is. Um, and it was such a bad movie because it just doesn't work. You know, father and son. It was Very also in, interesting that Imelda Staunton of Harry Potter fame, uh, she was one of the fairies, um, was filming the movie at night and doing Sweeney Todd in London's West End during the day. Oh, really? Or sorry, reverse that, filming the movie during the day. And, and, and Sweeney Todd at night time. Wow, yeah. that, that'd be a hell of a day. So yeah, it's a very, very long one. Um, so, so and seen... Lindsay Lohan was also considered for Thistle oh, Twin, but turned yeah. it down. Lindsay Lohan? Yep. No, that's another moron that we wouldn't have wanted to have. Lindsay Lohan. Hey, don't, don't be mean. No. I'm sorry. Lindsay Lohan and Tara Reid are now B-grade actresses, long gone, forgotten about, just uh, they're terrible. But yeah, Pax and Zahara, Jolie Pitt, were in the curse, cursing scene, no, the christening scene. Didn't even see them. Yep. So Stefan find, uh, sends his armies to find and kill Maleficent, but she surrounds the Moors with an impenetrable wall of thorns to protect herself and the Moors' inhabitants from the soldiers. Yes. Which I think was actually really good because when she was walking back from the christening and she's walking towards the Moors and basically just puts up this enormous wall, it's like, you're not coming in here. Yeah. It's like, you know? you're done here. And I think that's basically, that was her whole plan, is the fact that she knew that Stefan would actually want to exact vengeance on her on her for cursing aurora but she did it for a reason and the reason was obviously because she was so badly betrayed by stefan that you know when she walks into the christening and she says i too have a gift and you know and <laughs> that she starts to give the gift and of course his his wife goes well that's just lovely and maleficent says uh -uh, not so fast we've got more coming and then curses Aurora, you know, and then walks away. You, you, you just see, you do see, um, Devan is that? What's his name? The the, the bird, oh. Deval, Deval. You do see Deval when she's walking away. He does have that look on his face, like, yeah, you've gone a bit too far. I know yeah. you were, you had the the vengeance, and you wanted, pardon me, to, um, to hurt Stefan, but I think that what you've done is a bit too far. Let, you know too far left you know you've, you've cursed a child who is innocent and uh, but it was to basically punish stefan for what she, what he did to maleficent and taking her wings so i guess in that regard yes there is some you know some reason behind it but yeah i don't know so in trying to prevent the curse stefan slips into madness and paranoia even neglecting to see his wife on her deathbed he, he really does he gets really really strange and at one stage oh, he goes totally loopy he does. At one stage, you see him sitting up in a tower and Maleficent's wings have been encased in a glass box and he's sitting there talking to them. And of course, one of his um, soldiers come in, comes into the room and says, my Lord, you know, uh, your wife is on her deathbed. She, she wishes to see you. And he looks at him and he, and he 
puts his fingers to his mouth and goes, can't you see we're talking? He's talking to a pair of wings. Yeah. He's talking as if he, as if Maleficent is there. And, he, and he's basically saying, you know, you can hear me, can't you? You know what I'm, I'm going to do. You know, you can't get away with this. And he really, he's become yeah. completely, he's lost all his mind, you know. And he and the soldier does back away and shut the door on him because it's like, hey, well, <laughs> the king has gone bye byes, you know, and we can't do much about that. And so, what are we going to do? So he is really just sitting there, and uh, just lose slowly losing his mind. The movie then switches to Maleficent, where she finds uh, where Aurora is being kept with her pixies. And as years pass, Maleficent watches Aurora grow from afar and gradually begins to care for her. When the bumbling, neglectful pixies fail to properly look after her. Yeah, like where she's she falls over a cliff and she pulls her back up. Oh, because she's chasing a butterfly. Yeah. And the one of my favorite moments is, uh, okay, so she is next to the window and she's like, rah, rah, oh, that's rah, right. trying to scare her. And, she, and Aurora just keeps laughing at her. And she and 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 you start, <clears throat> excuse me, you start to see this bond begin to develop, and then she comes at her as a toddler, and just wants to to love her, and she, and she's like, get away, shoo shoo. And but then, I love what she calls her. I'm sorry. I love what Maleficent calls her. Well, I was just gonna say, and then as a young girl, she you know the, she comes up and she's like, oh hello, beastie. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love that she call. I love that. But did you know? That that is the same thing, and pretty much with the same inflection that Jack Sparrow calls the Kraken in Dead Man's Chest, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. No, I've, I've yeah, I've, hello, I've, Beastie. I can honestly say I've never seen any of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, I love the Pirates movies. Not one. I have, of them. I have a friend who does, uh, who has a an extra, a cameo as an extra in, I think it's the second one. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, what's her name? Oh, the girl. Who's the girl in that? I don't know. Oh, anyway, she walks. She steps over him. No, oh, I mean I've seen a couple of movie mistakes with regarding uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, but I've but uh, I've never seen any of the movies. Yeah, Kira, Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley. Yeah, she steps <laughs> over over my friend. Really? Yeah. She, she's gorgeous in that one. Yeah, he's a pi He's a, a sailor passed out on the dock, and she basically steps over him. <laughs> so when Aurora is fifteen, she encounters Maleficent. Aware she is being watched over, Aurora believes Maleficent to be her fairy godmother. Maleficent realizes that she cares for the girl and unsuccessfully attempts to undo the curse, but it is unbreakable other than true love's kiss. Now, she does say when she's cursing her, nothing can break this curse, including any earthbound or me. So nothing can break this. Yeah, she's like, by no means will this be broken except by true love's kiss. Yeah. And it is such a beautiful moment when she's trying and trying and trying to break that curse and it just won't break. And she starts to cry because she's realized that she now loves this child so much and she's going to basically be in an eternal sleep because of her. And that's the problem because she does see that at that moment when she cursed her, she cursed Aurora just out of vengeance and out well, of and, and and it had nothing to do with aurora and she no, now loves didn't. her for herself yeah and she can't but what i want to know is the way that house was rocking and rolling with her trying to break that curse how did it not wake anybody else up i don't know because the pixie's running downstairs yeah and it didn't wake aurora up either and it's like how did that not wake anybody up but i, I just find that, that when she was trying to break the curse and she could see she was 
trying all, with all her might to bring it back into her and it just wouldn't happen. It was that moment of like, okay, so I was incredibly upset and incredibly, you know, vengeful of him. What have I done? Yep, and and exactly. you, do see, you do see her when she's crying. She's like, she just goes that look on her face. Like, what have I done? Why did I do this? Yep. You know, it's the same way as, you know, you get people that um, break up over text messages and then find that there is something that wasn't actually quite right. You know, like someone in the family might've died or something might've happened. And you're like, what have I done? If yep. I, you know, at that moment I was angry and frustrated and I just decided to do this. In actual fact, there was something completely different to what I was actually expecting. So, you know, she could have cursed Stefan. That would have been easier than cursing an innocent child. Well, she why... knew that it would hurt him more to curse his child than him. And that, that's why Deval, when he's walking back, he does say, I think you've gone too far. And then she transforms him back into a, a crow to fly away. Because yeah. he even, even he sees that. I know at that moment, Maleficent, you were very, very upset, but you've gone too far with this one. This is not what you should have done. Yeah. And it is at that moment that she does realize that this is actually a bad idea. I should never have done this. Meanwhile, in the forest, Aurora meets a young prince named Philip, and the two are attracted to each other. They certainly are, because he's looking for King Stefan's um, castle and happens to run into Aurora because she's allowed to go. Now, this is something we didn't touch on. So when she discovers that Aurora is her fairy godmother, what she thinks it is, or she, or Maleficent is, she's allowed to go into the moors and play with the fairies. So she starts to be able to get into the moors um, and does say to Maleficent, when I turn 16, I'm going to live in the moors with you and, and with the fairies and have a wonderful life. And Maleficent does say, if that is your wish, then I will, I will, I'll be fine with that. But while she's in the, um, she's on the outside of the moors, and Philip is riding his his horse to go to Stefan's kingdom, she's trying to say to the, she's like doing a preparation to tell the fairies or her fairy god, well, the ones that are looking after her. Her I'm aunties. An age, her aunties. That's right. Thank you. I'm at age now. I'm 16 years of age, and I wish to live in live in the moors, and I'm going to go, and that's all I can do, and that's all I'm saying about it. And of course, Prince Philip does happen to see her talking to herself and does ask for directions to, you know, do you know the way to King Stefan's castle? And she does say, well, it's over that, that hill and down the other side and you're there. But, you know, she's got that whole idea of like, well, I'm going to be going into the moors and living because, as I said, she knows all the, 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 the fairies in there. She knows what, what a wonderful life she would be having in that, um, in the moors. Now, what's funny is... Um... Brenton Thwaites, who played Philip, um, is supposed to be slightly older than Aurora, but in reality, he's nine years older than Elle Fanning. Really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that one. Um, so when Aurora returns to the cottage, the Pixies inadvertently tell Aurora of her past and Maleficent's true identity. That was, yeah, that was a mistake that the Pixies accidentally fell on to, um, fell on shall we say because they were standing they were in the room uh, they're in the kitchen and they were saying oh my goodness tomorrow's the day we get to take aurora back home to her father and that's when aurora does say you thought said my father was dead dead and of course that's when she realizes that um yeah you had to be kept out of the out of the way of the, out of the way of the king until your 16th birthday which it was not the 16th birthday remember it's supposed to be 16 and one day and one day 
Aurora runs because they because they they go they go to the castle. They because you know, she goes, well, I'm going to the castle. The pixies basically have to follow her, you know, because they have to. And he does. She does go to the front um, gate and says, I want to see my father. I'm I'm the princess. And goes into the to the room and and of course King Stefan is in the middle of planning another battle attack on the Moors and of course you know you haven't seen your daughter in sixteen years and he has that what are you doing back here you're supposed to be back here sixteen years and one day and basically says and he just, he's like lock her in the tower lock her in the tower which she he could have done ages ago but for the love of God but does say the pixies what did you do you brought her back too soon but does tell her that Maleficent is not the person that you think she is. You think she's your fairy godmother. She's the one that cursed you, and we need to keep you safe for 16 years and one day. That's why you were sent away. Of course, that's not the way that it actually ends up to be because the, the pixies fell over their own tongue. So to protect Aurora, Stefan locks her in the room while uh, planning to kill Maleficent. Hold, yes? now, but, but, sorry, before this yeah. happens... There was a conversation between Aurora and Maleficent where she said, well, aren't you a fairy? And she says, yes. And she's like, well, then where are your wings? And oh, she says, right. I used to have wings. And she's like, were they big? And she says, they were so big. They dragged on the ground behind me and they were beautiful and they were wonderful. And well, what happened to them? Well, a very cruel person stole them from me. Yes. Not just, and she, and I mean, of course, Maleficent could have said your father did that, but she never did that. She no. never kept that. She gave that secret to herself that that was the person that actually took her wings from her. But she did describe them and what they are and what they were like. Yeah. So that does figure in in a moment. And of course, the only reason that, that Stefan actually did that is because he was desperate to become king. And of course, as we said in the beginning of the podcast, the only way to actually get that done was to slice up her wings and produce them as if to say, well, I killed Maleficent and there's the proof. There's her wings. Yeah. You know, sire, now give me the, give me what I want, which is the being a king and marrying the daughter. Yep. So he does lock her in the room to, to protect uh, her from, uh, to protect her from the curse and to kill Maleficent. But the curse's power draws Aurora to a dungeon. Now, see, this is what I, I found interesting. He was, t he told his entire armada to get every spinning wheel that you can and burn it, yep. destroy it, right? But, of course, one survives, and it, it actually reassembles itself, and it basically is calling uh, calling Aurora down to the dungeon. How did she get out of the room again? Um, I think, was it that she put a bed sheet out the window? Yeah, she did. She put no, a bed that was the second film. Wasn't it? Oh, it was the second one. So the first one, she must have, she must have some way of unlocked the door or got the. Well, no, I think what happened the was the they were taking her up there to lock her in, and they heard the call that Maleficent was approaching. That's right. She ran, she broke the um she broke the the, the hold on them, and she ran past them, and that's, yeah. that's where she was going yeah. down into the dungeon. And and she was just, and so they ran down to get ready for the attack on Maleficent. That's right. Yes. Because they were using Aurora to lure her in. Yeah. At this stage right. Maleficent now knows that uh, Aurora has been um taken into the dungeon or taken Yeah, because they because she's bringing along Philip with her. <laughs> yes, she is. In an enchanted sleep in an floating enchanted him along. Sleep. That's right. Just just in case it happens to ha happen which it does, because Aurora pricks her finger on a spindle and falls. Yeah, using a levicorpus spell to, to quote the Harry Potter homage to Imelda Staunton. Yes, and it fulfills the curse that Maleficent put on her when she was a baby. 
But of course, when she does do that, because Maleficent is is riding as fast as she could, because she can't fly, obviously. So she's riding with her horse, with Duval, and of course, she's, they're dragging Philip along, just in case, you never know. And as she's getting closer and closer to the, to the castle, when she, uh, Aurora pricks her finger, Maleficent does know that, oh, damn it, it's been fulfilled. She's now fallen into a deep Well, it's sleep. now sunset on the day of her 16th birthday, so, therefore, she knows the curse is complete. Yeah. And of course, that's it's. And done. Aurora is now in her bedchamber in the in the tower. Yeah, Maleficent intends on saving her, abducts Philip, and infiltrates Stefan's castle. Philip's kiss fails to wake to wake Aurora. That they're uh, they're saying that there is no such thing as true love's kiss because as as the pixies are saying, don't they? They bring her, they bring Stefan into the room well, and they go, what? Well, no, they, they, okay, so they bring Stefan into the castle, they wake him up and put him where the fairy godmothers, the aunties, can find him, and so they drag him in and make him kiss her. That's right, and they say, don't you want to kiss her? And he's like, well, yes, I do, and they go, well, do it. And then, of course, she, they, he kisses her, and she goes, and one of them, one of the fairies goes, you didn't do it right. It's supposed to be true love's kiss. She's not awake. And it's like, how is it supposed to be true love's kiss after, you know, talking for like five seconds? <laughs> <laughs> in a forest i know asking for directions <laughs> finally regretting her past but then again it could be asking for um salmon with the skin off and you know yeah and next thing you know you're moving to australia well if anyone wants to know that's how i met my wife i was working at stop and shop in massachusetts as the fish guy and i happened to be and it was my very first shift by myself and my my then boss said there will be a time that will come that you'll have to take the skin off of salmon, and of course, if you've never taken the skin off of salmon, you don't know what to friggin' well do. You hope to God you're not going to butcher the hell out of the salmon, and salmon's you know expensive over there. So of course, my, this beautiful young lady, my wife, walks up to the counter, and of course, I'm immediately mesmerised by her, and I start talking. And she go and I said to her, "What can I do for you?" And she said, "I'd like a piece of salmon." But could you take the skin off? My first thought was, oh, I don't know how to take salmon. <laughs> salmon. You could have said no. No, I'm, no, because if I had said no, that would have mean that I would just given it to you and you would have walked away. So I wanted to keep talking to you. So I decided to try and hack the shit out of salmon. <laughs> take it skin off. I always say to this day, I hope I, I hacked it off correctly because I was worried about it. Well, you must have done something right because they came back. I know. And now you moved to Australia with an awesome dog, a wonderful house and a podcast. Yep. And a cute and a very cute husband, I must say. A very cute husband. Yes, but I say that I digress from the movie. So, uh, finally regretting her past mistakes, Maleficent tearfully apologizes to Aurora and kisses her forehead. Aurora awakens as Maleficent's motherly feelings for her goddaughter count as true love. Yes, it does. And that's how she wakes up. True love is not always just romantic. No, it's not. I mean, I I look at my son and I've kissed him many many times and. I have true love because I love my son. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't necessarily mean that true love is just the fact that, you know, you are infatuated or in love with your fish guy. It just so happens that you happen to, you can kiss people um, and become, be their true love because you have an, an affection for exactly. them. So, you know, and that's the way that it, the Maleficent breaks her curse uh, with a lot of um, deep sigh of relief on Maleficent's um, behalf, perhaps as yeah. well. She's like, oh, thank God, you know, because it was an eternal, but it was basically it was an eternal kiss. Uh, sorry, an eternal sleep. She wasn't going to be waking up anytime soon. So thank God they were able to break the curse. 
So as Maleficent and Aurora attempt to leave, Stefan and his guards ambush them. An iron net is dropped on Maleficent. Maleficent transforms Duval into a dragon who beats Stefan's guards. That was actually really cool. That is really cool because Maleficent has this thing, and as I was saying in the in, in early part of the um the podcast, that's, that that uh, Duval is actually uh, a bird and he's captured underneath the net, and of course Maleficent's watching this poor little bird, and says into um, a human, and he becomes a human. So at the moment that the huge nets dropped over Maleficent, Maleficent's being burnt because obviously iron burns fairies. And as she's getting, you know, weaker and weaker, um, you know, Duval is trying to do what he can to stop her from being attacked. And that's when she says into a dragon. And then he becomes this monolithic dragon that fire breathes to try and, you know, free her. Yeah, uh, to, free her to from, save her, yeah. Save her from, um, um, from the nets. Which works really, really well, except eventually he's captured <laughs> because but, they throw these um, these iron um, chains around him. Yeah, the shackles and, on him. Shackles and on then him, Aurora yeah. comes in and sees all of this, and hear and 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 hears the noise of the wings trying to re- return to Maleficent because it can sense that she's near. Yes. So she goes running into the throne room and finds the wings, crashes it open. Yes, and then that. they go flying back through the castle and reunite themselves to Maleficent. They do restoring her full magical power, and which is awesome in the next part because when they reattach her and she breaks away from her, from her um, captivity underneath the the netting, Maleficent carries Stefan to the top of the castle's highest tower, but cannot bring herself to kill him, which I think that speaks volumes about the fact that they both had that that moment where. Um, I can't kill you, Maleficent, and now I can't kill you, Stefan. Even though they both, in this regard, uh, Maleficent's got every reason to kill him. Well, and that, but that being said, he is trying to kill her in this time. He he, he is now. He wouldn't hesitate for a moment to drive that dagger through his heart, given the chance. No, exactly. But at the at the original time when he took her yeah. wing, he did have that that moment of um, should I or shouldn't I? But he's now, now lost all of that. Yeah, he's lost now, all of his humanity. He's lost his humanity. He's lost his mind. He is just completely, de- he's is completely swimming in revenge and he's become so evil, you know. Um, however, Stefan attacks Maleficent as she turns away and they both plummet from the tower entwined. Maleficent opens her wings and Stefan loses his grip, falling to his death. Does he ever fall to his death? And yeah. well deserved. And I think there's a lot of, sometimes you see movies and I know I've, I've watched many, many, hundreds of movies and including horror movies where you see the antagonist fall to their death or someone kills the person and you sit there and go yes absolutely you deserve to die because you are a horrible piece of shit that and- actually happened to me once in a broadway show really yeah i went to see beauty and the beast on broadway and i've always hated the character of gaston because he's such a pig and they were up on the rooftop and the beast was fighting with Gaston and Gaston falls to his death. And I, all of a sudden, and I was just so caught up in it. And I'm like, yay! <laughs> and it actually threw Terrence man off because he was walking back across the roof and he stopped and he looked out at the audience like, what the heck? <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry. And of course, everybody's sitting around me. He's like, what the hell? And I'm like, but you really do in that moment when when a and you know the protagonist falls to their death or is killed. No, this is the antagonist. antagonist. The protagonist is the hero. The antagonist, sorry, the antagonist, I should say, 
falls to their death or gets killed, you do sit there and actually cheer for them because it's like, yes, you do deserve to die. So when Stefan is dropped from the highest point of the, of the castle and he's falling to his death, my first thought was, thank God. Yeah. You deserved this a long time ago, buddy. And take her wings from her. I thoroughly agree. Yes, you deserve to die. In the end, Maleficent returns to the Moors to its former glory and gives away her position to Aurora, who is crowned Queen of the Moors to reunite the two kingdoms forever. Philip also comes to live with them, which I think was actually really nice. But when she breaks down the thorns around the Moors, that's actually a real reflection on uh, Maleficent's humanity, that not all human beings are like Stefan we are not all done with the same paintbrush, you know? So she does see that, okay, at that moment, he did it for his own gain. Um, I suffered for the 16 years that I didn't have my wings and I became vengeful. But through the love and affection that he, that she has for Aurora, she realizes that, yes, not all humans uh, are this. They are, are good, you know, at heart. It's just the handful of people um, that do bad things and she decides that yes i'm going to return the moors she's, she's not opening the moors up to say everyone come and have a great time but she doesn't want to divide between the moors and the human realm she wants to have them you know able to be easily accessible as long as they are understanding that coming into the moors any human that comes in the moors must respect the um the realm that is the fairy yeah. kingdom exactly i think that, that that's wonderful it's a no, good it's movie not- I, I do. I, I really do like that movie. Well, it, it, I also thought it was interesting that um, where is it? Oh, that uh, Angelina Jolie wanted to be part of this from the beginning. In fact, I believe she was one of the associate producers. And she always loved the character of Maleficent, saying since she was a little girl, Maleficent was always my favorite. I was terrified of her, but I was also drawn to her. I wanted to know more about her. She had this elegance and grace, yet she was wonderfully, deliciously cruel. And they wanted her to, they wanted to sell the movie with her natural beauty. Yeah. And she's, and and she actually worked very closely with the costume and makeup designers to develop her menacing look. The Disney executives objected because they, they said they wanted to take advantage of her beauty in marketing the film. But Angelina Jolie insisted that the character maintain a scarier look of the animated incarnation from the 1959 animated film, Sleeping Beauty. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So at the end of each movie, we usually give a rating between zero to five movie reels. Zero being, how do I get the last two hours of my life back? To five being, I'd watch this movie pretty much almost immediately. What would we give this movie this time? I think I'd have to give it a 4.75 because I think, (laughs) why do you always laugh at me when I say that? I just love that 4.75. Well, because it is a near perfect film. Yeah. Yeah, I must the cinematography be. is beautiful. The acting yeah. is lovely. The casting is spot on. The costumes and makeup are fantastic. But that glaring plot hole of they could have just sent her away for like five days over the course of her birthday and she would have been fine. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that giant plot hole just takes away that little bit so they it's not quite a perfect film i mean i was going to give it a five but i uh, after hearing you say that i'll i will actually bring my score down to four because i think that's the glaring plot hole that that should have actually been addressed yeah there there should have been something to explain this the necessity of sending her away so she has no relationship or knowledge of her family yeah because she should because she should have been able to be in the in the castle yeah 
for all of 16 years and just send her away as you, or lock her in the, the, the room, as you said, the day before and let her out two days later. Exactly. But as I said, once again, it would have reduced the amount of um, time that, you know. But you wouldn't have been able to develop that relationship with Maleficent, which I understand, but it still doesn't explain it, the choice. Yeah. So Other got, than the fact that Stefan was Loopy Land, but oh, you know. Loopy Land is is definitely something to behold. But we've got a uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a thing at the end, which I'm going to do Paul's fun facts. Oh, now, this okay. Can be fun facts of movies, or this can be just fun facts, just for the hell of it. Okay. And I've got just for the hell of it, of some fun facts. Nothing to do with the movie whatsoever. Oh, just okay. some fun facts. All right. So, do you know? That in Florida, now you're gonna to have to keep a straight face on this one because this this makes me laugh. Is it a good thing this is not a video podcast? Yeah, in Florida, it is illegal to pass wind in public place after six p.m. on Thursdays. It is illegal to pass wind in a public place after six p.m. on Thursdays in Florida. There is some debate over this one. It certainly is a forgotten law and has never really been enforced in Florida. It was probably written in the 1800s and forgotten since. It is it's not clear why it ever became a law. Or rumored to be a law in the first place. But on Thursday, just Thursdays. After 6 p.m., you're not allowed to break wind. On Thursdays. On Thursdays, in public. Any other day is fine. You can go crazy. <laughs> now, this one, this one is actually something that we'll actually love, that, that Oliver will actually love to hear. Oh, yeah? Okay. It is against the law not to walk your dog at least three times a day in Turin, Italy. Really? You have to walk your dog at least three times a day. Yes, you do. Dog owners in Turin, Italy will be fined up to 500 euros if they don't walk, walk their pets at least three times a day. Under a new law from the city council, Italy considers itself an animal-loving nation and in many cities, stray cats and protected by law. Right? So to enforce the law, Turin police will rely largely on the help of tipsters spotting cruel treatment by neighbours. Turin has the most stringent animal protection rules in the country. They even ban fairgrounds from giving away goldfish in bags. They give them away what? They're not allowed to give away goldfish in bags. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Oliver would love it if we were living in Italy. Yeah. We'd have to get three walks a day or we get fined. Wow. I wonder now, how they track that. One. Did they ask the dog? Probably. They probably do. <laughs> but now one I do have to do, and it's because someone's birthday is rapidly approaching, isn't it? Yes, no. it is. No. Yes, it is. Someone's birthday is coming. So this law is definitely up your alley. Okay. But do you realize in Samoa, it is illegal to forget your wife's birthday? Samoa? Samoa. It's okay. illegal to, find, to forget your wife's birthday. <laughs> you will get more than the silent treatment from your wife if you forget her birthday in Samoa. It is unclear how long your sentence will, your sentence will be, but maybe some time apart will make you think of how to make it up to your better half. Okay. So it is illegal. Well, that will never birthday. happen in our household. When Not I was married to my ex-husband, it happened all the time, which explains why he's the ex. I've got some other fun facts, but I'll leave them for the next episode. Yeah, they, save something for next time. Because that will actually make you laugh. But there's there's three for you that you are not allowed to pass. Actually, I'll, get, I'll give you one more. In, um, I can't remember if it was Boston or just Northampton, but in Massachusetts, it's still a law on the books that when you are driving a motorized automobile into the city proper, you have to have someone walking about 50 feet in front of it, carrying a lantern and warning the townspeople that you're driving in a car. 
so it doesn't scare the horses. Really? It's still yep. on the books? It's still on the books. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. Love to see someone do that in Boston. Yep. That'd be awesome. So, see, there's Paul and Kat's fun facts for the day. <laughs> Bit of an interesting um, ending to the podcast. So, if people want to find us, where will they Where will they find us? Oh, right. We forgot to tell them to follow us on social media at Home Class Movie Chat. Email us hello at homeclassmoviechat.com and our website is homeclassmoviechat.com. And if you like the podcast, please rate us wherever you rate and review us wherever you listen to this podcast. And most importantly, please tell your friends about us. Like take out your phone and text them right now that you have to listen to the Home Class Movie Chat because you want them to share the fun with you. Absolutely. And we thank you for your support and hanging out and listening to us. Isn't that nice? <laughs> All right, so we'll see you next time. And in the meantime, see you at the movies. Thank you for joining us for the Home Class Movie Chat with Kat and Paul. Home Class Movie Chat is produced and edited by Create Your Change. If you would like to launch a podcast, please visit createyourchange.com.au. Please follow Home Class Movie Chat on social media and sign up for our newsletter at homeclassmoviechat.com so you can keep up with the latest news and promotions. We hope you enjoyed yourself today and will join us next time. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. 